So how about that new theme song, folks? Pretty snazzy, right? It is courtesy of my friend Oxblood, a music producer. Uh, I will put their SoundCloud link in the description so you can go check out their music. It's pretty nice. And big shout out to them for our theme song. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Running Unopposed. I'm Gabe. And I'm Rose. And this is Running Running Unopposed. Unopposed. Wait, no. I'm supposed to also say the I'm Rose part according to the script. So can we like start over? Yeah, sure. I'm Gabe. And I'm Rose. And, and this, we are. Wait. No, you're also not... You're not supposed to be in the episode, period. Uh, okay, all right. I'll shut up. Yeah. So, how are you? Okay. Passing the test. I like it. I like it. So, uh, Rose, uh, and uh, you can cut the bit out now. We're, you can cut out the whole I'm not talking bit. So... Do you like hearing stories that make you feel calm, refreshed? Uh, I'm going to take the uh, silent giggles as uh, yes. So, I love it. I I love to feel calm and refreshed. I love to relax after a hard day of podcasting with a nice glass of Chinese rice wine. Watch like a nice sort of mediocre sitcom. That's really what I like to do to relax, listener. I will say, Baiju, surprisingly good. It's quite good. Even though, which is odd, because it's not something you really put in a in a mixed drink, and no. it's pretty strong. It is pretty strong. I don't really mix it. Yeah. If any like Chinese uh, alcohol companies want to sponsor us, please email the podcast. I would love to. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, I will like learn how to like do the plug in Mandarin just for you. I'm totally serious. <laughs> so, um, we are going to. Talk, be talking today about a French mercenary named uh, Bob Denard. Bob Denard. Yeah. And you'll be learning a lot because he was a pretty wild dude. As a mercenary, he was involved in conflicts around the world, but primarily sub-Saharan Africa, which is not surprising given that he was French by birth, and that's where many of France's colonies were. When you say French by birth, does that mean he stopped being French at some point? Um, as a, in terms of being a French citizen, you mean? Yeah, or just like in general. As far as I know, he did not renounce his citizenship because he kept doing, oper- he did operations for France for a long time. Yeah, uh, if you research his Wikipedia page, the term Franc Afrique comes up a lot. Uh, basically, he was like a, you know, sort of black ops guy for the French government, <laughs> sort of. He does kind of have the life, uh, the life path of Alex Mason of Alex Mason from Call of Duty Black Ops. Yeah, I haven't played that. You'll have to explain that one. Black, the first Black Ops game starts off in the Bay of Pigs invasion. Awesome. And the last mission he's in is in Black Ops Two, where he participates in Panama. Man, that would be such a crazy life to have. Just going from, like, failed coup to failed coup, constantly getting owned by revolutionaries. Panama was a was a successful coup. Yeah, I guess that's true. We won Panama. Well, yeah, and in between that, he's in Vietnam. He's in, uh, I think, Laos at some point. He's in uh, Angola. Oh, boy. So, and I'm sure he was always on the right side of history. Afghanistan. Yeah. During the 1980s. 
Yeah, famously, we didn't. Uh, no one bad uh, fought in Afghanistan in the eighties. Very famously. That is sarcasm. That is a reference to Osama bin Laden. Yeah, we. Uh, th- this podcast does not support Al Qaeda. I feel like we just need to make that clear. All right. So, anyway, back to Bob. Back to Bob. Something I should note is a lot of this episode, as to a lesser extent, the next one will just me be explaining various uh various historical conflicts because some of them are pretty obscure and i feel like they do require explanations to understand why bob was there in the first place even if i go for long stretches without even mentioning him yeah um the decolonization and like the couple decades post-colonialism in africa are really complicated we're doing our best guys <laughs> yes we are <laughs> so i've decided to talk about him for a few reasons a, Rose likes researching mercenaries, and I thought they'd be interesting to research. They are. And also, she doesn't deserve to have all the fun on this podcast. That's so true. It is. I really have had it good for far too long. You say that sarcastically, but I think it's true. <laughs> it's my truth. Okay. B, he was involved in conflicts over the span of several decades and became quite an influential figure in Africa, even if it was not in a conventional sense, the way, say... A typical politician would be yeah this is you might say this is a bit of a departure for our podcast covering um a mercenary who never directly held political office or even ran for it uh to which i say it's our podcast and we'll do what we want and also i feel like as the podcast goes on we will diverge from or i should say deviate from people from office holders quite a bit but the people we will be covering are in one way or another, tangentially connected to politics? Yeah, um, I don't think that he's tangentially connected at all. Karl von Clausewitz, uh, politics is war, by, or war is politics by other means. <laughs> true, true. So, like, I think, I think I, covering mercenaries is totally fair game, just because the con- these conflicts are very much political. As are all conflicts? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, we covered Mark Thatcher, and he never directly held or ran for office. True. And also, we will be covering... One thing we, one type of person we will be covering more is professional imposters, many of whom were not office holders or mercenaries. Yeah, but if they have a connection to politics, we consider it fair game to cover them. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we're kind of on a kick right now of like psycho Europeans, and we'll keep it going for a little while. Yeah, I'm honestly thinking that we're on a right. We we are on a good path. Yeah, I like the way the podcast has been going. Exactly. So, in some ways, Denard was not really setting the trends as much as he was following them. He was definitely one of the most consequential mercenaries in Africa, but he was far from the first. So, mercenaries began with the German Landskampf, or however you say it, in the in the middle of the Holy Roman Empire. No, we're not going that far back. So, we're actually going farther back. We're going to talk about like Germanic uh, Germanic mercenaries hired by the Romans. I was thinking more janissaries but those were not really mercenaries were they yeah, no they were like kidnapped hungarian children that's a little different i thought they were turkish what am i thinking of the thing the ottomans did where they kidnapped hungarian children and like serbians and albanians and i think janissaries were kidnapped but i don't know if they were exclusively hungarian and Bal- and uh balkan yeah okay maybe i'm just maybe i'm confusing that with something else never mind so I'm just going to talk for a minute or two about the French Foreign Legion. Oh, boy. So it was formed in 1831 
And it was kind of this uh, mercenary force that was controlled by the French government. And it was kind of a way to get... Also known as an irregular army. Yeah, it was kind of a way for people with backgrounds that may have made them, I'd say, ill-suited for regular military life to still to still participate in colonial ventures. And by ill-suited for military life, you mean bandits and criminals, right? Yeah, no. A lot of the people they took were literally just rapists and, mur- rapists and murderers. And they were like, hey, what if you wanted to rape and murder in service of the French in Algeria? Oh, by the way, French Foreign Legion, another episode topic. Oh, absolutely. And the SAC and the OAS. A lot, France is going to come up a lot on this podcast. The French Foreign Legion still exists, but it's not quite what it used to be in terms of who they let in. Like, I heard that their recruiting process is actually pretty strict now. Yeah, they won't even let they wouldn't even let me in for being transgender. It was very I was very upset. That was a joke. That was a joke. I'm not at any point planning on joining the French Foreign Legion. So anyway, the French Foreign Legion um, was formed in 1831, has conducted operations all over the African continent, including former French colonies such as Algeria, Cameroon, Chad, Djibouti, Morocco, Benin, and other places such as the Congo, Somalia, and Angola. And a lot of those operations were conducted while they were French colonies. Exactly. So, and uh, Denard actually participates in quite a bit of the uh, in quite a bit of the conflicts in these places. So, in this way, you could say he was just following the herd of mercenaries that came before him. I prefer mercenaries who really play by their own rules and set their own path and trailblaze. However, his path in life has made him a bit of a legend among his cohort of mercenaries post-decolonization. As a result of his activities that ha- that spanned several decades, he definitely made a name for himself as a soldier and adventurer. I like to describe him as a mixture of a guns-ablaze warrior profiled by Soldier of Fortune, Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now, and Manuel Noriega. Three of the best types of guys you can be. That was a joke. That to, yes, uh, you don't need to say it's a joke every time I make a joke. But it, we need to know that it's parody, or the listeners need to know that it's parody. They can figure it out. I trust our listeners. But what if attorneys listening to this do not? And I say, and I describe him as a combination of these types of people because at various points in life, he has kind of been made out to be by the media. A shrewd prophet and glory-seeking gun for hire, the lone white man ruling over an African fiefdom, oh boy. and the power behind the curtain. So he's sort of simultaneously every Jewish stereotype and every, like, I don't want to say white stereotype, but, like, you know, archetype of the white adventurer in Africa. The second one, yes, the reason I say power behind the curtain is because of what he did in the Comoros. Yeah, which will probably be part two. Yes. Anyways, back to Bob. This is going to be a little bit like the Sheshel episode where we have to um, give a lot of background before we can get into the real crazy stuff. That's going to be a lot of episodes, I feel, that yeah, we we'll have. See. So, Pim Fortown is going to be crazy the whole way through. True. Born in Bordeaux, France, on April 7th, 1929, Bob's birth name was actually Gilbert Bourgeot. Okay. As far as I know, there was not really a ton going on during his early childhood, although I assume he's seen at least, he saw at least some things because he grew up first during the Great Depression and then 
under direct German military occupation during World War II? Yes. So I'm assuming he wasn't a collaborator because he was a kid, but was his family collaborators? As far as I know, not really. His There just was not really a ton of information on his family. That's fair. And So I, that means his dad probably wasn't a collaborator. Yeah, and I didn't really want to make the episode about Bob Denard's dad or his <laughs> third cousin. <laughs> We're going to be covering every single person with the last name Denard who has ever made the news. Okay. First first up, guy from my bodega. <laughs> so, in his late teens after the war, Bob joins the French Navy and gets sent to French Indochina oh boy. during the country's nearly eight-year-long war to retain its colonies, um, of which it had been stripped uh, by Japan during World War II. Yeah. Now, for those of you who do not know, French Indochina consisted of what is now of the of three countries uh, now known as Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. Yeah. The and- French Indo the Indo Chinese Wars for Independence. Uh, later transitioned to the Vietnam War and America's uh, misadventures and atrocities in that region. And which then transitioned into the Khmer Rouge and other bad things. Yeah. And, and uh, Vietnam's invasion of Cambodia and okay, Vietnam's no, that one war was with China. Cambodia was just going across the border and murdering people. I'm not saying it wasn't justified. I'm just saying it turned into another conflict. Okay, fair. Which then turned into a war with China. Yeah. um, Read the politics of heroin if you want to know more about um, what was going on in Indochina from sort of the 50s to the 80s. So after um, he's in Indochina, in 1952, Bob becomes a member of the French police in Morocco. Oh, boy. And from what I can tell, Morocco really did not really have a single protracted war of independence the way say vietnam or algeria did but it did experience political violence during this time all right and like what i wasn't really that important okay because this is not where bob because at this point bob is still just a low-ranking soldier so there isn't really a ton about him personally i could find so he wasn't like personally committing atrocities against like moroccan independence Mm -hmm. activists or whatever as far as I know, he was not, and I can almost certainly say he was not orchestrating them. Okay, fair enough. So, as for Denard, I don't really know what went on with him personally, because mercenaries are unfortunately difficult to research. True. So We're doing our best, folks. Yes, we are. So, is, so there are three points that I like to say that I like to say you can consider to be where the rest of his life began, 1956, 1961, and 1979. So what happened in those times? So we're obviously going to cover them in chronological order because it would be weird to just talk about 1979 and then talk about his childhood. So it would be fair to say, rather than doing a general biography of everything that happened, we're going to focus more on those three points in history. Um. Yes and no. We are going to spend a lot of time talking about 61 and 79, but it will be a general biography because it would be weird to only talk about three points in his life without without context. That's fair. That's fair. And talking about the before and after. So what do you think happens in 1956? He gets kicked out of the army because he got into a bar fight. Well, he left the army after a bar fight, but that is not what happens. Um, in 1956, 
he he kills his first person. He was uh, implicated in an in an assassination plot against Prime Minister Pierre uh, Mende France and spends a year in jail. Yes, which, yes, which one thing I do want to note is uh, France was uh, very in favor of pulling France out of Indochina, which um, was generally supported by the French public, but certain right-wing elements within the French military and intelligence apparatus we're not huge fans of. Yeah, there's a whole episode we can do on the 58 the 1958 uh crisis, but yes, we could. Yes, we could uh, at some point Republic. Yes, at some point we'll probably do the collapse of the Fourth Republic, the OAS's attempts to kill Charles de Gaulle, the the SAC's adv- misadventures and heroin smuggling. They'll all come up again eventually. Yeah. I I tried to look into the assassination plot to see how far it went, what Denard's role in it was. Unfortunately, I could not find much information on it. The only thing I could find was context that like elements of the French intelligence apparatus wanted him gone, but we couldn't find anything directly linking Denard to that apparatus. And not just that, but in a lot of the uh, obituaries of this prime minister, they they did not even mention the plot at all. What? So we don't want to allege a larger conspiracy that we can't prove. However, we don't want to say there's no chance there was one. Yeah, I just it was impossible to find information on this other than some obituaries of Denard, which basically just stated, "Well, that happened." Yeah. So clearly it was a um, he was imprisoned falsely for political reasons, and he was a political no, prisoner. No, that. That is parody. That is parody. We do not support killing the French president. Prime minister. <laughs> but yes. Prime minister. So, sorry. Also, side note, how are you going to be named France and be the prime minister of France? Come on. Hi, it's me, Billy Texas, the governor of Texas. Like, shut up. I feel like it would be Johnny Texas. I feel like that's a way better name. Johnny Texas. What a Johnny Texas. I'm Johnny Texas, and I'm running for governor. So after getting out of jail... Denard tries to get back into civilian life and becomes a washing machine salesman. Yes, which imagine being someone who bought a washing machine from Bob Denard. This just like psychotically murderous Frenchman comes up. and He's like, ha ha ha, it has built in dry air. And then he like tries to and then he like tries to kill your whole family or I something. I feel like being a washing machine salesman does sound like a job that was profiled by vice news or something but it also does make sense because traveling salesman was a big thing in the 1950s and i feel like washing machines are something a lot of people wanted and needed so it's not cre- yeah because they were well even new. if they weren't they're just still something that people need so god i would love to have been a traveling salesman so in it's the not 50s. that crazy to think that a person could just make money going house to house selling washing machines yeah I think if I was born in like 1930 instead of uh, when I was born, uh, I think instead of being transgender, I would have been like a Willie Loman type. Nah, that would have been me. You would have been a Willie Loman type? You would have had like a marriage, you would have had like a wife who hates you, two kids who don't respect you, and you would have been like a failing at your job, at the easiest job in the world. Was he failing at his job or was he just being pushed out because he was old? I don't remember. But anyway, um, so it becomes apparent to him that he's not really suited for a, for 
living an ordinary life and working at an ordinary job. He craved something more. Yes. So, murdering. Sure. Yes. So, looking at Africa and seeing the unrest gripping the continent as European powers, particularly France, but to a lesser extent, Britain, Belgium, and Portugal sought to retain their colonial holdings, Denard said to himself, fuck it, I don't have a ton going on here in France that I can say provides me with enjoyment or makes me feel complete, so why not go to Africa? Yeah, and this was like, this is very much like a thing you could just do back then. It was like, oh, I'm bored in life. Let, let me go kill some people in Africa. Like they're, they're, the the whole idea of like the front, the colonial frontier, as just like a place you can go to blow off steam and commit like horrific crimes, has just been a thing for mo- for a lot of like British, French, American, etc. history. And it's just such a horrifying thing to think about. But it was just like, yeah, everyone's I'd cool. I'd say with that. that was the case for about, to varying extents, what would you say, 80, 90, 100 year span? I would say longer than 100 years. Especially for like Britain and France. Maybe, but they didn't have those colonies for even a century, don't forget. Yeah. and But you could also, they, they had like influence in them though, or you could still go there. Also, Britain held India for quite a while. Then you can look into like, if you really want to go far back, you could say Romans were doing the same thing, and you could probably India that. is not Africa. I was talking about beyond Africa. Ah, okay, just sort of colonialism. Oh yeah, cool. And kind of the idea of the frontiers of the empire. Oh, more that idea broadly has been ha, was a thing for more than one hundred years, but in relation to Africa specifically, the idea that like Africa is more even the the idea now that like. Africa's more free for the white man because there's no laws. Like, you even see that on, like, right-wing guys on Twitter saying that. Well, now I think the notion is less about that and more just Africa as the quote-unquote dark continent. Kind of this place frozen in time, almost. Yeah, that was the idea back then, too. Yeah, but it's less about uh, this idea of frontiers of the empire, and it's more of just about, like, the exotic continent, so to speak. Fair, but there is still definitely a lot of post-colonial former imperial influence. Still. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, cons- I'm trying to get a post-colonial pre-imperial influence type beat. So, considering that it's 1961, Gabe just made a neck-cutting motion. Yeah, because I want to get to the next goddamn part, Rose. Sorry. Rose? Sorry. Wait, do you have any questions? Yeah, 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 no. Yeah, that... <laughs> that hurts, doesn't it? How do you like damn apples? This is how we've always done episodes. One person does the script, the other person interrupts with riffs and questions. I don't delay it by four days. I didn't delay this. I'm by saying four days. your interruptions are gonna take make mean it's gonna take four days to get through the script. You know what? You don't understand. Let's just move on. So. In 19, so, in 1961, Bob Denard goes to the Congo in the midst of the Congo crisis, which I will explain because it is fairly complex and requires backstory. So, from 1885 to 1960, the Democratic Republic of the Congo was a Belgian colonial holding, first under the personal administration of King Leopold II as the Congo Free State from 1885 to 1908, before coming under the, the control of the Belgian government as the Belgian Congo as a result of Leopold's many atrocities, 
One famous legacy of Leopold's brutality, in addition to forced labor and population decline, is the widespread amputation of hands and feet of Congolese men, women, and even children. Yeah, the the Belgian Congo was, or the Congo Free State was one of the worst things humans have ever done to each other. Yeah, Belgian Congo, not great, but significantly better than the Congo Free State, which, pretty low bar, but figured I should say it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't have like a fun joke here. Just that was yeah. just a really dark time yeah. in human Something history. I will note, just because I found it interesting, was the atrocities of King Leopold II's brutality um, were brought to the world's attention by English missionary and photographer Alice Seely Harris and resulted in such strong diplomatic pressure that it forced the Belgian government to become the administrators of the Congo as opposed to Leopold himself. Yeah, and if you were too brutal to Africans in 1908, that's how you know. Uh, like, if Europeans were like, all right, you're doing colonialism too hard in the early 1900s, that's how you know you really fucked up. Yeah. So, in 1960, what is now known as the Democratic Republic of the Congo finally achieved independence largely thanks to the leadership of Patrice Lumumba, the first prime minister of the country, and uh, a modern-day hero among... Uh, among people who are st- among modern day leftists, I would say. Yeah, and like, yeah, and like sort of, and just not even necessarily pan Africanists, and necessarily. just Africans in general. Yeah he's, still yeah, he's still widely celebrated in a lot of places. However, the process of decolonization was not as simple as transferring power from the Belgians to the Congolese. 1960 was only the beginning of what we now call the Congo crisis. So, after decades of Belgian rule, the Congo finally achieved independence on June 30th, 1960, after holding elections in which the aforementioned uh, Lumumba became prime minister, with Joseph Kasavubu serving as president. And as soon as the Congo became free, Lumumba had his hands pretty full. On July 5th, Congolese soldiers in the Force Publique mutinied against their commanders at Teesville military base. And at this point, I should point out that these soldiers were still under the control of Belgian officers who were overwhelmingly white. So, in this sense, the Congo was not entirely decolonized, if that makes sense. So there were, in this region of the country, let me just make sure I get this, there were still Belgian officers commanding soldiers, and the Belgian officers revolted, or the soldiers revolted against the Belgian officers? The latter. Yeah, yeah. So they were the soldiers were in favor of Lumumba. Yeah, the well, a lot of it was also just mainly anger with their Belgian officers and just Belgian presence in general more than anything because they wanted more control over their own units and they wanted higher wages. So Belgium saw this as an affront to their rule, which, well, yeah, I mean, it was, but yeah. also their rule. Yeah, was exactly, evil. and their rule wasn't real. Didn't really exist officially if that makes sense because they the belgian congo was no longer a thing wow why can't we we continue controlling your army and then pretend you're independent wow pretty much so it still hoped to kind of uh retain this informal uh colonialism if that makes sense yeah sort of a a laid-back office casual colonialism no where uh 
like the the guy who runs all the the guy who owns all the farms is still like a Belgian citizen who only lives there like a month out of the year, but uh, he wears like a popped collar with the front button open. And you, and he tells you to call him Chris. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Oh, don't call He's me. like, oh, don't call me Mr. Racisme. Call me David. David Racisme sounds like a really bad like guy in a Dickens novel. I will say. <laughs> yeah, fine. He can be. Um, he can be Jean Racisme. More, He's more teamed up with Nelson Buttersworth. <laughs> David Milksop. That last one is just gross, not even evil. Milksop. All right. Milksop? Yeah, I don't know. So I was just trying to come on up July eleventh, uh, Katanga, a province in the southeast, secedes, much to the delight of Belgium, France, and the United Kingdom. And this was largely because of the copper mines in the region, um, which was probably the wealthiest province in the entire country. And a guy who leads the, and the guy who leads this secessionist effort and becomes the first and only president of Katanga is a guy named uh, Moises Chombe. So I don't know exactly when this happened, but Chombe was making it uh, rain, not literally, not on the strip club sense. By that, I mean he had a lot of money. Yeah, because the West was like, ooh, a secessionist movement in a newly independent African state that we can back to weaken a country that might not like us anymore. Yeah, exactly. So Chombe uh, received military and financial support from Belgium, and which actually was also the main source of mercenaries in the conflict on the side of Katanga before being overtaken by France later on. God, I'm imagining like a like a northern Belgian mercenary, just how the level of bureaucratic intransigence that man could achieve. So the Katanga Gendarmerie, organized by Chombe, would come to be composed of 8,000 locals and 600 European mercenaries, the most famous of whom were Denard, Jean Trom, and uh, Christian Tavernier. So the trio would come to be known as uh, Les Affreux, or The Dreadful, in English. So... I could not find specific instances of atrocities or anything like that, but the articles I've read on Denard have described him as having a reputation of being shrewd and ruthless, and that, combined with the moniker he earned, made makes me think he was not the nicest guy on the planet. But again, I do not have any hard evidence of him perpetrating massacres or overseeing war crimes or anything like that during the Congo crisis, so I'm not going to accuse him of doing so. So basically, him and these two other European guys were just kind of being bandits in Africa, specifically in the Katanga province, fighting DRC soldiers. Uh, the banditry stuff comes a bit later, but yes. Okay, yeah. So this is like which warlord era China stuff. I guess, but they're not really warlords. Yeah. So maybe they're not. more soldiers for hire. So we were last at July 11th, correct? The date of secession. So on July 13th, the two yes, days later, the United Nations passes a resolution approving an international peacekeeping force, the ONUC. I'm not going to uh, say the full name because it's in French and I do not want to butcher it. So and it and the UN understandably says, Belgium, you need to leave. And around this time, the United States arranges for a meeting with Lumumba to hash things out. I'm sure Belgium was super willing to just leave and let, let it let bygones oh, be bygones. Oh, definitely. It's not like they 
helped organize a secessionist movement that implied exactly the opposite. They definitely didn't like heavily fund the Katanga separatists. And then have to later apologize for killing Lumumba. That would be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Turns to camp. (laughs) So anyway, this meeting with the U.S. so that things with Lumumba can be hashed out. But the CIA chief of station in uh, Leopoldville, uh, now Kinshasa, a guy named Lawrence Devlin, says the Congo is in danger of falling to communism. I'd say this was a combination of Cold War paranoia that caused any leftist movement to be considered a Trojan horse for Soviet domination. But also, Lumumba Lumumba was not someone I would call a Marxist, but was still receiving uh, Soviet weapons shipments and technicians. But regardless, I do think that was not enough evidence to accuse him of being a communist and was done more out of pragmatism than ideological conviction. Also, even if he was, like, favorable to the Soviet Union, that still doesn't give you the right under, like, international law or whatever to just kill him and replace him with your guy. That also. Like, that would still be, a, that would still be morally corrupt to be like, oh, he's allied with the Soviet. The democratically elected president is allied with the Soviets. Let's just murder him and put in someone else. Exactly. And anyway, he was not some Soviet puppet. Don't forget. So, yeah, he won the election. Yeah, exactly. Although so did uh, so did uh, no in Vietnam, but I mean that that was a slightly different election. It is, but my point is, winning an election does not mean that you aren't a puppet. That is true. true. Anyway, on September fifth, Kasavubu, the president, dismisses Lumumba, who's are you accusing Lumumba of being a Soviet? uh, Not as far as I know. But anyway, um, <laughs> Lumumba responded with thanks but no thanks and his supporters protest. Kasavubu's effort to oust the beloved revolutionary. So was Kasavubu so doing this at the behest of Belgium uh, and America? Not really important because it's just not really... I didn't want to make the episode the uh, about Patrice Lumumba. I wanted to keep it on Denard, so... And I figured if I was going to start going down certain rabbit holes, I wouldn't be able to get out of them. And before I knew it, I would have a three-part episode that was not at all about the guy who I wanted it to be about initially. That's fair. So even if it wasn't necessarily at their behest, it was what they wanted. Yeah, I would would say so. So just nine days later, however, on the 14th, Joseph Mabutu, Mabutu, a colonel... Future episode. A colonel at the time staged a coup and ordered the Soviets to leave the country. And eventually, a few months later, Lumumba is captured and later executed on January 17th, 1961. So the Congo... uh, Captured by by Mobutu. So the Congo crisis would go on for another two years before... Or actually more than two years, but Katangan secession would go on for two years before ending... In January 1963, after Operation Grand Slam, which was launched by the United Nations. So, as come on and slam, and and welcome to the jam in the Congo. Congo. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You could really say this was kind of a rumble in the jungle. (laughs) Did Mobutu live long enough to see Space Jam? I feel like he'd enjoy it. It was in 1995, so. 
Yeah, was he still alive yeah. by that point? Okay. He died in 97. Okay, so he could have theoretically seen Space Jam. I think Space Jam was in 95. I could be wrong. Yeah. 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 Regardless. So it was before Michael Jordan's second retirement. So So, anyway, as for Denard and his fellow mercenaries, uh, the Policy Center for the New South, a think tank based in Morocco, published... Which we had to clarify is not a neoconservative thing. No, it's not. I know it sounds like one, but we swear they're Published fine. a paper on mercenaries and gave the following figures. 15,000 gendarmes fought for the secessionist effort, out of which 2,000 would go on to join the Congolese military, while in, with another 1,000 going to Angola to help Portugal retain its colony there, with the rest having, and this is a phrase I'm quoting, vanishing in nature. Now, I don't know hmm. what that means. I assume a few of them died. I assume some of them just retired, and assume, and I assume some of some of them just sort of disappeared. Some of them probably went into like intelligence. Probably, work yeah. Too. Probably, yeah. Got recruited to be part of the Congolese version of the CIA. Probably, probably, yeah. Uh, or like domestic secret police yeah. from Mobutu. So yeah. Denard is among the one thousand who went to Angola. And unfortunately, I could not really find any information so about his they time were, there. Also, to clarify, something kind of weird. I just want to make sure I'm getting this. Mobutu was Western-backed and Katanga was Western-backed, but they were still fighting each other. I think so. I don't know when Mobutu's relationship with the West started because, again, I did not want to make this an episode on Mobutu as much as I would enjoy researching that. Yeah, we um, when when we inevitably do a Mobutu episode, the Congo crisis will come yes. up again. Um, so, in 1965, Denard would be hired by the Congolese government. Um, according to a blog post I read, it was to kill another mercenary, uh, Denard's friend named uh, Jean Schramm, who possible future part of the future, part of the terror, yes, the dreadful possible right? future yeah. episode topic. So was he basically just doing Heart of Darkness? What do you mean? What do you mean? Where like he has to go into the jungles of the Congo to kill a a, a mad white man who's gone insane and started a cult? Uh, maybe, but he did not start a cult. No, but that kind of thing. no, but that kind of thing where it's like he's been hired as a mercenary to go in and kill this guy. I guess again, mercenaries are difficult to research. Yeah, so just imagine, look up a picture of Bob Denard or look at the one I used for the episode uh, picture and just imagine him naked in a hotel room in Saigon shooting heroin. Was he shooting heroin in the movie or was he just bleeding? <laughs> I think he was shooting heroin. U.S. soldiers in South Vietnam did a lot but of heroin. I don't think Martin Sheen did in the movie. I could have sworn he did heroin. We got to rewatch We Pop should. Now. Good movie. But again... Uh, mercenaries are difficult to research, so I couldn't find a ton yeah, of information true. on this, which makes it ex- which makes it difficult to establish an exact timetable, unfortunately. But in nineteen, 19- a very Mark Thatcher, problem. yeah, actually, in nineteen sixty four, uh, Denard begins to become sort of a legend. So in Stanleyville, he manage- manages to rescue a group of white civilians encircled by rebels, and this successful operation becomes inspira- becomes the inspiration for the movie for the movie The Wild Geese starring Richard Burton, Richard Harris and Roger Moore. Roger Moore would go on to play James Bond. And Richard Harris Wait, who played Bob Denard? Wait, who played Bob Denard? 
Well, it Denard. Well, it's a fictional movie, so Denard isn't really a character. It's inspiration, but it's not really a biopic. Before part two, I'm gonna watch the movie and uh, I'll. Report we should back. watch it together. I actually want to watch this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's watch it together. So, in 1966, uh, Denard once again helped Shombe in a secessionist effort. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was just like his right hand man. That was his best guy. Shombe was like, "Hey, Denard, you want to do it again?" So, in July in of 1967. Denard led the 6th Commandos, a group of 180 mercenaries, into six towns with the support of Katangi soldiers and before having to retreat to Punya, which is controlled by Major Jean Schramm, actually, managed... So wait, Jean Schramm was just like an independent warlord? I guess, kind of. I This is not the Jean Schramm episode, but we will cover him. Okay, all right. So he was basically Colonel uh, then. Well, actually, Denard kind of becomes Colonel Kurtz. Yes. All right. Not Keep in going. the Congo for part two. But so they before having to retreat, they managed to raid the local bank in Bukavu, one of the cities they attacked. So, so they did a bank robbery. Yes, they did. So that's, possible. That's kind of like tax fraud. No. In a way. It's not. Well, yeah, it's sort of a financial crime. Sure. So possible motives include Shombe's kidnapping, but also uh, wait, who kidnapped? Uh, yes, Mobutu. I think so. So, but also just a lack of payment. <laughs> <laughs> so the mercenaries weren't getting paid, so they just decided to start. <laughs> That's yeah. so cool, yeah. listener. If there's one thing I've learned from hundreds of hours of playing Paradox Grand Strategy games, is that you need to pay your mercenaries <laughs> because otherwise they will start robbing banks. So, from the blog post I mentioned earlier, Denard ran into a platoon of North Koreans by chance, got shot in the head. Um, Wait, whose side were the North Koreans? Uh, on? Not his. <laughs> so, got, so wait, were the North Koreans supporting I Mobutu? I think so. Uh, God, the Congo crisis so is so weird. Denard then got shot in the head during the resulting firefight, was paralyzed for two awesome. days, and would eventually awesome. limp for the rest of his life. And Denard was nursed back to health by a woman who would later become one of his wives. And supposedly, his men were able to I, steal okay. a plane and evacuate their wounded boss. Where'd they fly to? Uh, not sure. Back to France, I think. I, I, hesita I hesitate to praise to praise North Korea, but it is pretty funny that they shot Bob Denard in the head. <laughs> More impressive, he lived. I don't know where they flew to because his the next decade or so is not that eventful. So sort of. So his like mid sixties to late mid seventies. Yeah, that much I think happens. he he's doing some fighting, but the information I could find uh, is mainly on the failed coup in Benin, um, his time in Comoros, and and then his uh, other time in Comoros. So again, to the failed coup. Uh, that is for part two, because all right. Yes, so are we ending because here? Because this has been over an hour. I nope, believe it's been forty-five minutes. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, that's it for part one of Bob Denard. It's a little bit of a shorter episode this week, folks, but 
trust me, part two is when the real juicy stuff begins. We get failed coups. We get Colonel Kurtz stuff. Uh, it's it's going to get real weird. Stay tuned. <laughs>